Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Eruvin, daf Zion 7. So what was very typical of our Masachat Shabbat learning, uh, our today's discussion is going to actually start on the previous daf, on daf Vav. And we really here have sort of a meta-halachic discussion about the idea of following the stringencies or the chumrot of one, uh, one opinion versus following their kulot. And what do you do in situations where there's um, multiple opinions with multiple chumrot and multiple kulot? Who should you actually be following? Right. And right. So we have a system in place, right? And we have all kinds of rules of which we're going to see over the course of the entirety of Shas, please God, right? In terms of if you have a majority rule or a minority rule, like there's there's all kinds of different policies and who's greater in a, a greater scholar in terms of a given topic. And we've mentioned this kind of thing in the past. But the other thing that happens is, of course, that because we retain all of the opinions, right? I don't know if we really retain all of the opinions, but all of them we know of, and they contradict. And we have, you know, good scholars, good rabbis teaching contradictory views. And now we want to kind of handle them both, right? And and keep them both. Now, the question is, how can you possibly do that when you end up with actual contradictory approaches? And the answer is, you can't. But the Gemara tries, or in this case, it tries, and it's certainly in practice, and all the more so in the modern era, we often try to keep what we'll call the chumras of both sides, right? The stringencies of both sides. So let's see how this pans out. And it's, you know, this is really, you know, among the, I don't know, seminal, critical um, principles, I guess, in the way we approach halacha as it merge, emerges from the Gemara. Okay, so the Gemara says, What do you do when you have two chumras? Right? How are you supposed to keep the two chumras? And so there's a bright, of course, that's going to come to explain this or support the question. We have a principle that says always, as a general rule, the, we pass them like Beit Hillel. So if you have a machloket, if you have a dispute between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, Follow Beit Hillel. That's the rule, right? Right? What if you then you somehow the words, the position of Beit Shammai sits better with you? Can you follow Beit Shammai in the face of the Psak that says always follow Beit Hillel? And the answer is yes, yes, you can, right? And then it says, and then the Gemara says, and if you want to follow Beit Hillel, you could do that. Meaning, once you have a case where the Gemara has established. Um, contradictory views that are of, you know, equal and opposite weight type of thing, then you can do, then you can legitimately follow the psak of, of not Beit Hillel in this case, right? Or the, whatever, whichever the view is, and you are standing in, in, in a good zone, right? You have, you have Al-Midli Smoch, you have a, a, an authority to rely on. The problem is, is what follows. Mikule Beit or Mikule Beit Hillel, Rasha. If you want to keep the leniencies of Beit Hillel, which is more, let's say, right? There's more leniencies by Beit Hillel than Beit Shammai. And you also want to keep the leniencies of Beit Shammai, which is not so many, but when you add them together, it means that you are always taking the lenient approach. So the Gemara here calls you Rasha. That's a wicked thing to do. Meaning follow which, whichever view you, you align better with, but it should, you have to be consistent. You can't just take the easy way out every which way you go. What about if you want to take the stringencies, which is where we began? So if you want to take the, the stringencies of both Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, 
you're allowed again you're allowed but the the gemara here ascribes the pasuk, the verse of from kohelet from ecclesiastes which is the fool walks in darkness meaning you can do that but but why would you right it's a, the gemara is pretty harsh in its judgment of anybody who's going to follow all of the stringencies or all of the leniencies meaning any one consistent halachic approach is going to sometimes have leniencies and sometimes have uh, meaning rather follow Beit Shammai and both their leniencies and their stringencies or follow Beit Hillel and their leniencies and their stringencies meaning like I said stick to it stick to whichever approach you're taking and you'll end up with you know some easier psak and some harder psak and, and that's the way it's supposed to be that you're following a consistent approach um, we run into difficulty with this sometimes because, because it's sometimes you don't know what the right answer is supposed to be. So on the next page, meaning on the next amud of this same daf, there's an example of Rabbi Akiva, right? Where Rabbi Akiva wasn't sure whether he should follow, whether which day was going to be Rosh Hashanah Ilanot, right? Which day is the new year for the trees? Is it Rosh Chodesh? Um, Shvat, or is it the 15th of Shvat? Now, we paskin to Bishvat. We paskin the 15th of Shvat, and that is the day we keep. And there are all kinds of practical implications of what day the new year starts because of things like mitzvot, as we talked about before, the agricultural mitzvot that we don't discuss so much in the in the Babli, but matter a lot in terms of do you need to take Orla? When do you have a Shemitah year? When are things available for eating? <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. And so if you're, it's only two weeks difference, right? So as far as Rabbi Akiva is concerned, he kept the chumras of both opinions, right? Meaning treating both of them as Rosh Hashanah and also treating both of them as not Rosh Hashanah for something that was not going to be available. It, it ends up getting pretty, it, it can be a tricky thing to do. And in the modern era, very, very often, I feel, people take it upon themselves to keep the chumrot of every which direction, meaning they want to honor and respect and and follow the psak of people of Rabbanim who themselves disagree. Now, what are you going to do when the, you know, one says yes and one says no? You can't keep the, the with regard to any one topic, you're going to end up with a chumrah of one party and a kula of the other party. It becomes complicated. And so that's why I think that these very harsh characterizations by the Gemara Meaning you cannot take, it doesn't say you can't, it says you can, right? You can follow all the leniencies and you can follow all the stringencies. But if you do, on the one hand, that's called wickedness, like trying to get out of things. And on the other hand, the Gemara calls you a fool to keep all the stringencies. Those are fighting words, right? And it's a, it's a very strong endorsement of this idea that pick an approach and stick with it and live with it and follow through. Of course, now the Gemara is gonna go on and make it much more complicated, your Dana, over to you. Yeah, so I think uh, some of the pieces here that we need to understand about this Gemara um, is that it is a great example, sort of the intertextuality of the Gemara itself. Um, and that if we don't know some of the other stories in the Gemara, we won't actually understand what's going on here. So I want to focus on um, two pieces here. Part of the way they want to resolve uh, this questioning about Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai um, is, it reads as follows, right? Um, where it says, Hagufa Kasha, right? Amart, right? 
So it says, you know, we're trying to say like, no, you could follow Beit Hillel, Beit Shammai in these cases and Beit Hillel in these cases. So it says, no, this is a problem. It's a kacha because didn't you say, isn't the halacha always like Beit Hillel? This is, sorry, I didn't clarify. This is actually in the bottom of a Reuven above Amud Bet. And didn't you later say on, right, meaning you, the, the narrator of the Gemara, that if you want to do like Beit Shammai, you're allowed to do like Beit Shammai. So what's going on here? We thought we always followed Beit Hello, but now you're telling us we want to follow Beit Shammai, we can follow Beit Hamai. Lo kasha kan kodem Beit Ko. So it says, no, it's not a kasha. One statement is saying that it's before the Bat Kol, right? And one is saying kan la'achar Bat Kol. The other one is saying that it's actually after the Bat Kol. Now, what are they talking about here? Um, so this is actually a Gemara that we'll get to on Dafyud Gimel. It's a Reuven Dafyud Gimel, which is a very famous Gemara. I'm not going to read all of it now because I'm going to want to spend a lot of time on it when we get to Dafyud Gimel. But there's basically a Gemara there that says, that talks about the Machloket between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. And that essentially was resolved by a Bat Kol, right? We've talked about the Bat Kol before, which essentially is a divine voice. It's interesting that it's always in the feminine. Um, that comes out to basically resolve something or to make an observation about this world that humans would not be able to resolve or to understand based on our normal intellectual capacity of how we observe and experience the world. And so this Batkol comes out and says, the halacha is always like Beit Hillel, and it's going to give a reason why it's like Beit Hillel. Again, I'm going to keep your suspense. It's a excellent, beautiful reason that teaches us a lot about machloket itself and the value of machloket. Um, but essentially, so the statement of saying that you know, we always follow Beit Hillel, that it was after the Bat Kol. And the one saying that you could follow Beit Shammai if you want, that is actually a statement that was given before this Bat Kol came out. And it's interesting to see that there's like a chronology to when did this principle of the Bat Kol that we always follow Beit Hillel come out and that the Gemara really acknowledges this. The Ibais, And if you want, you could say that both of these took place after the Bat Kol, right? But Rabbi Yeshua, he's low mishkach the bat kol. But Rabbi Yeshua, we know, he actually doesn't follow like the bat kol. And I think this is really amazing, right? Like it's saying, so no. So according to Rabbi Yeshua, he never follows the principle of the bat kol. He doesn't believe that we're bound by the bat kol. Now, what Gemara is this referring to? So this is really referring to the very famous Gemara, where you'll see this in the Tanur Shel Aknai, right? The oven of Aknai, which was a very famous machlokas between Rabbi Eliezer ben Hyrcanus and the Chachamim. Again, a great Gemara that I can't wait to get to. It's, um, it is in Bava Metziah on page 59, Amud Bet. Um, and in there, part of the way they try to, the, the premise of that Gemara basically is, is that there's this type of Tanor Shalaknai and there's a Machlokas between the Chachamim and Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, if this type of Tanor can be Makabel Tuma, if it can get in, you know, Tuma or cannot get Tuma. And Rabbi Eliezer is very adamant about his opinion. And he tries to bring all of these proofs basically from miraculous occurrences that take place um, in uh, that it take place around them. And ultimately, a Batkol comes out and says that Rabbi Eliezer is correct. And Rabbi Yeshua comes and says, but we don't follow Batkol because very famously he says, right? Halacha is not decided in Shemaim. It's actually decided by humans. And so here what the Gemara is saying on the top of our actual daf that we're dealing with on the top of Zion, where it says, Rabbi Yeshua, uh, right? So according to Rabbi Yeshua, we don't care that the Batkol said that we actually only follow uh, Beit Hillel. 
um, the it's low Bashamayim here. We don't follow Bakos. And therefore, if a person wants to actually do everything according to Beit Shammai, according to Rabbi Yeshua, they're allowed to always do something um, like Beit Shammai. And so I think really what this staff, the previous staff and this staff is really discussing um, is this exact tension that we value. Um, and I think this is the thing that I hope many people actually see from their learning of Dafyomi. We value a multitude of opinions, right? We, we respect and acknowledge that there's a variety of ways to look at complex halakhic situations, to look at even uh, how we view occurrences that take place in life and that are more philosophical. There's not one way to experience life or to come to an eventual psak of halakha. But yet, we have to live and we have to ultimately make an actual decision. And so who is it that we actually follow? Are we allowed to just choose whoever we want? Or are there supposed to be some guiding principles that help us decide which opinion is maybe more supposed to be followed? I don't want to use the word valid, but it's supposed to be more followed than another opinion. And I think ultimately we see some of the different tensions around that issue at play um, in this particular passage of the Gemara. That's my first point. And my second point is, is that, again, this is a great example how, like, in a certain way, the Gemara just assumes you know everything that's in it. You can't really understand this Gemara of what they're talking about if you don't know about this Gemara with the Bakol of Beit and Beit Hillel and Eruven, or that you know the Gemara about the Bakol with Rabbi Yoshua in Baba Metziah. Okay, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Frankest Review is where you get your podcast. Um, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Come talk to us on our Facebook page. Tell us how you think about the mul- multiplicity of approaches within Halakha and how we keep them. Until tomorrow, go and learn.